Hi, and welcome to All Things Cozy with Matt and Jillian. We are a bi-weekly podcast about everything that is warm, soft, and comforting. Twirl that mustache and use your little gray cells because today's episode is a Poirot-a-Palooza to celebrate the latest silver screen appearance of Agatha Christie's legendary detective, Hercule Poirot, and Kenneth Branagh's Death on the Nile. We'll not only be discussing the latest iteration of the iconic character, but looking back at some of his most famous portrayals by the likes of Albert Finney, Peter Ustinov, and David Suchet. But first, it's Cozy in the News. Our first story was sent to us by listeners Norma and Kate and comes out of Boise, Idaho, where eight-year-old Dylan Helbig is making a splash as a comic book author. A library lover, after finishing his comic, The Adventures of Dylan Helbig's Christmas, by the way, the Christmas is spelled C-R-I-S-M-A-S, so you should be awing right now as you're listening. Oh, oh. And he signed it, this is even cuter, Dylan himself. <laughs> <laughs> Dylan took it upon himself to add his tome to the library shelf. As Dylan said himself, I wanted people to read it. <laughs> Library branch manager Alex Hartman agreed and cataloged Dylan's comic book under graphic novels. Dylan's comic book now has a waiting list 26 deep. If you're interested in reading the next issue of Dylan's comics, book your ticket now because the next installment titled The Jacket Eating Closet will soon be hitting the Ada County Library. Wow. When I first saw this story, I thought to myself... <laughs> This would have been my dream as an eight-year-old. No I was always question. writing my little stories. Hoppy the Frog was my uh, protagonist. Hoppy the Frog. <laughs> yes. You know, you made my, made my frogs. I still have it in, uh, tucked away in my closet. So perhaps I will do a reading of it one of these days on the podcast. No, well, get it out of that closet and put it on a library shelf, Jillian. 32-year-old Jillian Walters. Central's <laughs> <laughs> Public Library. Oh, my goodness. Do you think GMA will cover that? <laughs> I think they should. I mean... Our dreams are just as valid as Dylan's. Yeah. And I want to I hear all about Hoppy the Frog. Well, Matt, I want to make your dreams come true. <laughs> <laughs> get ready, LA Public Library. <laughs> You're about to get an, an uninvited addition to your shelf. I'm going to hop right into your hearts. <laughs> You're absolutely right, though. This was a total dream of mine as well. Like, I just wanted people to read my comic books. I remember making comic books for Mario and for... Donkey Kong, these are games I love to play. I guess I'm just not a hustler like Dylan. It never occurred to me just to have the the gall and the gumption to just p- put that sucker on the shelf. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to so want to read this. <laughs> <laughs> well, also his range. I mean, first we're yeah. in Christmas, and then we're in the jacket-eating closet. So it's very impressive. Oh, my goodness. His uh, explanation for the jacket-eating closet as... This happened to me. You know, we put a jacket in there and where'd it go? I I have to know how this ends. His little realness is quite adorable from Dylan himself to <laughs> the jacket eating closet being a literal disappearance of the jacket is amazing. So I would I would love to go to his uh, book release, his opening day. Yeah. He has an audience and we're ready for these comics. Keep the dream alive, Dylan. You go, Dylan. So my story is actually reported by Variety the day of our recording, which is February 16th. And another food-based show is in the works. So if you love cooking shows, this is for you. And 
some of you might be sighing because there are so many. I It's just so wild how many versions of um, these cooking shows there are. I've mentioned, you know, cupcake hell, bun cake butts. It's just like <laughs> there's always something cooking um, to throw out a bad pun. But this one I find really adorable. It's called the Julia Child Challenge. It premieres March 14th on Food Network and also streams on Discovery. Plus, and it is a tribute to Julia Child herself. And I can't say it better than Variety can. So the Julia Child Challenge will see eight top-notch home cooks compete in high-stakes culinary challenges to find out who has the fire, skill, and passion to win the first-ever primetime competition series dedicated to all things Julia. The competitors, all Julia Child superfans, Share personal stories about their hero, cook in a kitchen recreated in the likeness of where Julia herself cooked using the same ingredients Julia used and are even guided by Julia herself through a larger-than-life television screen right in the middle of all the action. Maybe they could have done a hologram, but I assume <laughs> they're just going <laughs> to stream. Don't give them any ideas, old, old clips. Oh, yeah, maybe they're going to steal that for season two. But the first ep- episode, to give you a little sneak peek, Will challenge the competitors to use their skills and imagination to make one of the French dishes that changed Julia's life. Bear with me here. Sol Mounier. <laughs> and round good. I mean, honestly, listeners, you're going to have to bear with us struggling through a lot of French words. So please have grace for us. <laughs> this, is the, yeah. this is a French heavy episode and we are trying our best. And as Matt and I were talking about before we started recording, I took French, so it's even more um, personally upsetting (laughs) that I struggle. Uh, In round two's Ode to Julia, the competitors must share their culinary journey by recreating the meal that changed their own culinary life, and that's from Variety's reporting. This looks incredible. This looks like an extremely cozy show. So cozy. It also seems like it's an episode of our show, like we would do a Julia Child challenge episode. And so now I'm kind of inspired to maybe this is another episode in the pipeline. Or maybe, Matt, we get onto YouTube. And we do it ourselves. Silence. <laughs> yes, yes we, we can do our own uh, competitions, make handle-making competition. We can do our challenges or all our, our creations and put up on the tube. Write in to your local network and tell them to get Matt and Jillian on the tube. <laughs> <laughs> That's how that works still, right? You just write into the network. Dear NBC, give All Things Cozy a show. Hey, you got to dream we, big we, like we Dylan. We want to see those bozos who can't pronounce words on our TV screen. I think people pay, would pay money to uh, listen to me mispronounce words. I'd be on <laughs> Some Twitter, people be do. Roasting. Some people do. Yes, they do. I get roasted all the time. Oh, man. Oh. Well, that's incredible. I, I, will, I will definitely tuning in. Thank you for sharing that, Julian. Yeah, a lot of fun. On to our main topic for this week. I'm so excited because listeners know we love a murder mystery on this podcast. And is there any greater legend in the mystery genre than Agatha Christie, the creator of not only Miss Marple, but of Hercule Poirot, the fictional detective that has captured hearts and minds for over a hundred years? <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, 102 to be precise. The fictional detective Hercule Poirot made his debut in Agatha Christie's first novel, The Mysterious Affair at Stiles, published in 1920, where he was described as a man who, quote, 
was hardly more than five feet four inches, but carried himself with great dignity. His head was exactly the shape of an egg, and he always perched it a little on one side. His mustache was very stiff and military. Even if everything on his face was covered, the tips of his mustache and the pink-tipped nose would be visible. The neatness of his attire was almost incredible. I believe a speck of dust would have caused him more pain than a bullet wound. End quote. While the fastidious Belgian detective charmed millions of readers, his creator grew tired of him just a decade after his first appearance, describing him in 1930 as insufferable. <laughs> By 1960, Christie was even less fond of him, saying he was a, quote, detestable, bombastic, tiresome, egocentric little creep. End quote. <laughs> I really had to, I, I dug to see, like, when I read that, I was like, this, is this real? And yeah, it's real. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Even so, fans embraced the obsessive and persistent Poirot, and he would go on to be featured in 33 novels, two plays, and over 50 short stories until his final appearance in 1975's Curtain, Poirot's Last Case, which was published just four months prior to Christie's own death. In fact, after the character's death, he was the first and only fictional character to receive a front-page obituary in the New York Times. Even since his death... Poirot endures on the screen, appearing in eight feature films and 70 episodes of television. His latest appearance on the big screen, Death on the Nile, was released in movie theaters on February 11th and stars Kenneth Branagh as the detective. Jillian and I braved the cinema to have a peep at the latest iteration of Poirot and investigated the characters passed on film to discuss the evolution of the character that got us to this point. But before we get to the brand new film, Death on the Nile... Let's go back 48 years, so get your time machine, doo -doo 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 -doo, to 1974, so we can discuss the first film appearance of the character to receive an Academy Award nomination, Albert Finney in Murder on the Orient Express. is a detective. This is the world's most celebrated crime fighter. I take a professional interest in crime. Agatha Christie's brilliant Belgian detective. Oh, Belgians, I always thought you were French. Albert Finney is Detective Hercule Poirot. This is no ordinary mystery. Don't touch nothing. This is Agatha Christie's most perfect crime. Murder on the Orient Express. Directed by Sidney Lumet, Murder on the Orient Express depicts Poirot's most famous case in which American businessman Samuel Ratchet is found stabbed to death in his sleeping berth and Poirot works to uncover which passenger is the murderer. Albert Finney plays the detective and is surrounded by an all-star cast, including Ingrid Bergman, Lauren Bacall, Sean Connery, John Gilgood, Anthony Perkins, and I could go on and on and on. There's, it's, there's more stars than in the sky. <laughs> Bergman won Best Supporting Actress, actually, for a performance as Greta Olsen, and the film was both critically and commercially successful. Colorful and dramatic, this is the only film adaptation of her work that Christie ever said she liked. But let's talk about that Poirot. Jillian, what do you think about Albert Finney as Hercule Poirot? After listening to your wonderful oral history of Poirot, by the way, I was just muttering in my living room, Poirot. I know. <laughs> and again, I'm sorry if like we're like saying it slightly wrong. I'm trying to put that poir into it, you know? <laughs> the best yeah, no, I can. I, I was I was practicing like I was, you know, 
going to perform at the Globe, I was really bravo, bravo. Parker's like, shut up. <laughs> she didn't say that. <laughs> so, but after hearing it, this version of Poirot makes a lot more sense because my notes were, could the costume designer not find a suit to fit poor Poirot? <laughs> Every coat and suit looks huge and it makes his head look so small, which is now seeming very purposeful <laughs> to me. Um, I also thought he seemed to struggle drinking and feeding himself. He does seem completely unhinged. And the actor really magnified those quirks and honed in on the little creepness that yeah. I guess Christie <laughs> described. It was also just really wild throughout. I mean, he's wearing mm-hmm. snakeskin pajamas at one point, which was a choice. Laughing maniacally when he finds a, a clue. Yeah, or just, you know, playing air violin, just all these like little zany <laughs> things. And so I did love the zaniness because I'm very big on zaniness, but he irritated me quite quickly. And then I, I was also telling Matt before, I couldn't understand what anyone was saying. I don't I put I on the know subtitles. Going on. Yeah. Yeah. It, so I just turned it off within 40 minutes. So I, I have to be honest there. And I just couldn't take it anymore. But I did love the coziness of the train. It was an extremely cozy setting. Oh, yeah. I mean, you? this particular murder mystery, which is, again, his most famous case. I mean, this is the most adapted and restaged mystery that Poirot is involved with and that Christie wrote. And it's an incredible mystery. I mean, the resolution itself, like, I mean, we've discussed, I think, this a little bit in the past, but it's just an incredible ending to the murder mystery, the the resolution. But we're not here to discuss the, the mystery so much as we're here to discuss the detective. <laughs> <laughs> and I agree that this is absolutely the most arrogant and eccentric of the depictions we've seen. It's, it's funny to, to remember that Finney is 37, at what? the time that he's doing this performance. They aged him up. They aged, it took hours of makeup to age him up. In fact, there's like this weird anecdote about him. They pick him up asleep. They get him in an ambulance and they bring him and put on his makeup like while he's asleep over to the set, which I don't know that I believe that. <laughs> but I think it does underscore the amount of effort they're putting in to make him look the part because Poirot is older. He's not you know in his 30s. And I get why he was nominated for acting because it is such a big performance it's so exaggerated Mm -hmm. and i thought that cartoonishness was really magnetizing and clearly christy who was frustrated with this character by then was like yeah he really got (laughs) honed in (laughs) yeah on that like kind of his obsessiveness and his sort of Mm -hmm. finickiness and i think what this depiction gets of the character the best is how dogged he is at getting to the truth he's really aggressive he pushes hard on his suspects. He yells at them when they lie to him. He's like, you're lying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's really pushy. This is really the pushiest Poirot. There was one quibble, though, that Christy had with Finney's portrayal, and that was the mustache. She said it was not grand enough. Despite the, the kind of underwhelming mustache, I really did enjoy this movie personally. I thought it was so colorful and fun and realized and... It it really it felt to me contemporary almost just in terms of like how firing all cylinders all these amazing talents are in this movie. It is an incredible ensemble cast, and you could spend a whole day just reading the the IMDb and Wikipedia trivia for this movie because there's so much drama and information about the stars. It's it's a really interesting movie. If you are wanting to watch this version 
of Murder on the Orient Express. It is available on Amazon Prime if you have that via IMDb TV, um, and that's free with commercials. That's a great first introduction to Poirot. Yeah, I think it really gets to him as like a detective who's really on the case, and you really don't want to slip up around him because he will find you out. This adaptation, what I think it really gets right, is that balance between the murder mystery and the character of Poirot. Because he's so eccentric, and it really gets those eccentricities. Um, like this is a man who has to have a a balance that is always four hundred and forty four in his bank account. <laughs> That's like how like precise he is, right? And I think this really gets that aspect of the character. Yeah, you hit on a good point that I think the balance of the character development and also the plot, because as we'll discuss uh, the other movies, that wasn't always hit on. Let's move on to the next silver screen adaptation of the character. And this is actually a direct sequel to Finney's film, but Finney was no longer interested in playing the character because of how long the makeup took to age him up for the role. So Peter Ustinov took it and made Death on the Nile in 1978. Join the most brilliant detective of all time, Hercule Poirot, on a mysterious journey down the Nile to the great wonders of the world where the biggest wonder of them all is who done it. I feel the presence of evil all about me. Agatha Christie's Death on the Nile. And so Death on the Nile finds Poirot joining a, a luxurious cruise down the Nile in Egypt with newlywed Simon and Lynette, only to be hounded by Simon's spurned ex-lover, Jacqueline. Yusinov would go on to play the character in five more films, ending with Appointment with Death in 1988. And if you are interested in watching this version of Death on the Nile, you can check it out on the Criterion channel. And if I told you that the last cast was stacked, this cast is even more star-studded. Mia Farrow, Betty Davis, Maggie Smith, Angela Lansbury. It's so much raw talent. The wattage is so high in this cast. There's really almost no oxygen in the room for Poirot. When I think about this version of the character, I kind of felt like he melted into the background too much. He's a very approachable. He He's avuncular. He's more soft-spoken, especially compared to Finney's, like, pit bull. He's less trying to, like, sniff out the truth and kind of, like, harass everybody into the precise facts that will solve the case, like Finney's version of the character is doing. It's more like he's just like absorbing everything by osmosis. And then by the end is like, oh, I in, in surprise, I kind of have an epiphany about what happened. A, a side note, mustaches are important to the character. This may be, he has maybe the least interesting mustache by far. But what did you think, Jillian? I know I'm not quite so hot on this Poirot. What did you think about Peter Ustinov and Death on the Nile? I'm also not so hot on it. Uh, I love that Angela Lansbury had a role, of course. And so... And her costumes were absolutely incredible. Oh, yeah. She wore them so well. And so I enjoyed it for that reason. And I also love, like you said, the supporting roles. There are so many great character snapshots and everyone's desires were fully realized and their mm-hmm. connection to Lynette were so clear. And I love that added context. So that the storytelling was great. I also forgot that Poirot was there and I was often looking around and all the old white guys, I'm like, who's the right white guy again? <laughs> <laughs> Which one's Poirot? I forgot. And uh, so he was digestible because he often slipped my mind. He wasn't as 
grating as the other Poirot was <laughs> in the original. I got the other one got a little bit of my nerves, a little too zany for me. So, so that was good, but I don't think that was the point of him. And I wanted and expected more from Poirot. It's interesting as we explore these depictions, the tension that seems to be constant between like, how much are we exploring Poirot as a character versus really just wanting this to be an ensemble murder mystery piece and there has to be a detective there to solve it. Yeah. This film definitely takes the the point of view. We are here for the ensemble. You will love every one of them. And they are right. Like this is an incredible film to watch because of all of the amazing supporting performances happening in the ensemble. Everyone is just given their a game. It's so fun. Don't let me saying I'm not imp- so that impressed with Yusunov's Poirot as me saying I didn't like this film. I love this film. I just thought the character wasn't maybe the most forward. But again, like you're saying, if we're looking at it from the perspective of, I just really want that murder mystery front and center. I want the detective to fade back a little bit. This could be the Poirot for you. (laughs) Uh, But Christie's daughter did famously also say that this was not Poirot. Like like that the the actor did not capture the, the character as it was written on the page. Yeah, but it definitely captured the murder mystery angle. Yes. I'm imagining a BuzzFeed quiz, which Poirot are you? That would be getting so many clicks right now. (laughs) Well, there's another idea we're just giving away. All you BuzzFeed writers, buzz off. Stop stealing (laughs) our ideas. Our third Poirot, let's go forward in time to 1989. I would say like in the context here, this actor has portrayed the character the most. And I think at this point is becoming synonymous with our detective. And that is David Suchet in the TV series Agatha Christie's Poirot, which started in 1989, and it made new episodes all the way through 2013. Well, 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 if it isn't Mr. Poirot. Hercule Poirot, he's a private detective. After the reward, I Poirot. A man as tough as the crimes he solves. This sort of air is intended for birds and little furry things. He's Agatha Christie's Poirot. We busted out that Brit box uh, <laughs> trial run to this is also available on Acorn TV if you have that or you can buy individual episodes on Amazon. We watched the pilot episode together. Episode one, The Adventure of the Clapham Cook, in which Mrs. Eliza Todd approaches our world famous detective to find her missing cook, which is not the, the caliber of case he likes to take. OK, that's a little beneath his pay grade. So he's not inclined to take such a trivial case, but. He ends up agreeing and soon uncovers something more sinister, theft and murder. And this is the longest running portrayal of the character. Suchet played the detective in 70 episodes that covered the Christie canon. Truly from the first appearance of the character all the way to his final. This is a pretty storied portrayal and the longest running one. So what do you think, Jillian, of our TV Poirot? Well... If you love sexy saxophone music, <laughs> this is the show for you. Uh, it's in the opening credits. They have very late 80s, early 90s saxophone music playing. And um, it's it's quite a scene from the imagery to the music. But outside of that, um, this Poirot is very sassy, which I liked. He's smart, but he doesn't make those around him feel dumb. And he cracks the cases by honing in on people's strengths and desires opposed to their flaws, which I think makes it 
Poirot so unique as a detective in general. I also thought it was interesting that this version, he had a sidekick, Hastings, and I thought that Hastings was adorable and and sweet, but uh, I prefer Poirot as a lone figure. Uh, But yeah, I think this is a nice mix of the first Poirot we discussed and the second, so not too over the top, but he's there and he's being Poirot-ish. He's doing his thing. Yeah, it's occurring to me now that he is the Goldilocks Poirot. Like, he's just right. Just right. <laughs> he, he's sarcastic, but he's sweet. He can get mad. Yeah, the, he has a glimmer in his eye, that twinkle. He does. And I really like that quality of his performance. And there is a kindness, too, and he really is interested in talking with people. And I think, you know, quite fittingly, since we are told this is Agatha Christie's Poirot, right? I think we get the most book accurate version of the character yet. I really love how Suchet's performance balances his obsession, vanity, and eccentricities with a genuine passion and love for talking with people and uncovering the truth. He was so dedicated to this. I was watching an interview with him. He almost left the series after season one because he felt they were not doing justice to the costumes. And he felt like his, <laughs> his costume in particular was not what Poirot would have worn. Wow. And I guess, I mean, they, they, were, they listened to him and he got his way. And so they changed the, the costuming up a little bit. It was more precise. But I think that's a real match there, right? The precision of the actor and caring about those details and playing a character who is all about the details, right? And so I, th- I thought that was an interesting kind of um, comparison. Not that, not that they're similar, the actor and the character at all, but they did have that kind of um, obsessiveness there in common in terms of their clothing. But what I also love about Suchet is I think he fits the bill visually. He's got that egg-shaped head, <laughs> and he does wear padding to fill out the suit um, the same way that Christie wrote him as fitting his clothes. In summary, for me, I think this performance is the perfection of Poirot as a listener. He is listening he got that twinkle in his eye and he will be finding those clues to figure out who done it. I agree. It really magnifies, like you said, what a great listener he is, which is the core of Poirot. He's an interviewer, right? He gets all of his information by talking, which is quite helpful for the viewer <laughs> because you get to enjoy all this dialogue. And there is such a rich tapestry of clues, even in the dialogue. If you're paying attention enough, the words he even uses back to the suspects will often be meaningful. So it's a really, I, th- I really enjoyed this. I think I'm going to keep watching this at least as long as I have my trial of BritBox. <laughs> yeah, and I'll be logging into the mutual. Exactly. All these calls you log in. Yeah. Jillian, get out of the BritBox. My turn to watch Poirot. <laughs> fast forward to today, which I guess we don't need to fast forward to. We're here, but here we are. And... Our main event. So Julian and I, we went to the theater. We saw Death in the Nile. You must meet Hercule Poirot. My congratulations, madame. Merci. He's only the greatest detective alive. I suspect you invited me for reasons other than the fun. This is not the first time Kenneth Branagh has portrayed Poirot on film. He also made, directed, and starred in Murder on the Orient Express. Before we dive into our thoughts, Julian, tell us about the plot of Death on the Nile. Well, first off, I want to say I love going to the movies with you at 1130 a.m. We do matinees here. A, to avoid COVID. (laughs) I think it was the first movie we've gone to see together in theaters in years. 
it was a good experience. I mean, everyone wore their mask and they checked for the vaccine card. So that was that was a nice level of protection. Yeah. I appreciated that. That one person chomping on their you can't yeah. yeah, and then it all feels farcical, right? When people start munching on their popcorn, and then it's like, what is this? What are we yeah, doing? I held off on my buncher crunches, my dark lord, so I know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have any food either, and I always have popcorn at the theater, but we survived. We survived Death on the Nile. It was was fun. So 48 years after the original Death on the Nile film, director Kenneth Branagh breathes new life into the story, complete with a glitzy and more diverse cast. Army Hammer and Gal Gadot star as newlyweds Simon and Lynette, while Branagh himself takes on the iconic role of Poro. With a whopping budget of $90 The well-worn murder mystery unfolds in luxurious detail, giving as much attention to the Nile as it does literature's most famous detective. However, the film's emphasis on production should come as no surprise to fans of Branagh. Like Matt said, he also directed the star-studded and sleek 2017 version of Murder on the Orient Express. This film is visually stunning. The shots of the boat on the Nile and the monuments they visit are breathtaking. In terms of the cinematography, this movie does that thing I love, and it's so cheesy, but I love it. But when they stage the whole ensemble and they pose them together to fit them all into frame and they all have their own little pose, and you can tell it's almost like this is meant to be the still for some publicity or a poster. And they do that a lot. They just all kind of like pose and and it works. I don't know why Mm -hmm. I love that, but... I just love that they crammed all these actors and made them like fit into the frame perfectly. So many <laughs> sweeping shots too. Love a yes. good sweeping shot. I mean, if, if you're not ready for some sweeping shots, then <laughs> then you got to brace yourself because there's a ton of them in this film. Man, I mean, we knew this from Murder on the Orient Express, but Brenna took the note on Poirot's mustache being too small in the 74 version very seriously because he comes at you with a battle cruiser of a stash. It's got like... It's got four points. He has like one layer of the mustache pointed up and then it keeps going over his cheeks for another two points, a four point stash. (laughs) It takes up his entire face. This is a Poirot that really takes his stash seriously more than any other. I felt like of all the depictions, this one gives the most depth to the character. What, What did you think, Jillian? Agreed. I loved the backstory of Poirot. That was my favorite part of it. It highlighted his skills of observation so thoughtfully and as well as set context for why he's so obsessive about the little details. So out of all the pros, this is the one I have the most sympathy for. And I was more interested in him as a human than I was him as a detective, which I'm not sure is a plus or a minus for the film. Um, That said, I think Brenna hit the emotional burden that a keen observer quietly carries and how this trait can be isolating, as it is powerful. But outside of the lovely and deep character of Perot that I thought was so well-drawn, I love the costumes and the attention mm-hmm. to detail. Every scene was delightfully indulgent, and so I was captivated for that, but not so much the murder mystery. I was just, the visually, I was eating it up. So in terms of plot, I don't know if it hit the right notes for me there. It did for me insofar as I was, because I actually had never read this or seen an adaptation of it prior to this version. Um, Mm. So I saw the 2022 version before I went back and watched the 1978 version. I was guessing the whole time. 
I, I had my own theory about what had happened and I was not right. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think it kept me guessing. So I was still kind of engaged. I was still engaged by the mystery myself, but you're absolutely spot on. This is much less about the mystery, although that's obviously very important, but it's really taking great care to give you some character development with Poirot himself. And all the changes from the book to this version really you know, uh, centering on the inclusion of Book, the shifting of Salome Otterborn's role. You know, in other adaptations, that character kind of is, you know, a drinker. She gets in the way. She um, gets in some trouble. I'm not going to give anything away. But this is not that Salome, but that's very intentional because this Salome is a bit of a love interest for Poirot. So that's a new element mm-hmm. of the character. And the inclusion of wartime backstory served to center the film on the detective himself, making it, for me, not just a wonderful mystery, but also a deeper exploration of the detective. Dollars to Donuts, this is the most emo Poirot ever. Brenna's <laughs> eyes are watering constantly. Tears <laughs> are ready to drop. And he's so full of emotion and kind of a reticent participation in all of the drama that's happening around him. But then once the murder happens, he is, you know, he's doing his thing. You know, he's, he's on the case. But you can tell the entire time leading up to that, he's really trying to pump the brakes on a lot of the cuckoos that are on board that ship. <laughs> yeah, he, like you said, his eyes were always watering. He was just walking around ready to burst into tears. And I, and I love that about him. They really are thinking about, like, what is Poirot's stance on love? I really feel like that's almost the thesis mm. of this film. Poirot as a yep. lover, really considering like the role that his detective work has played on his love life and the and all of the traumas he's experienced, uh, how, how that's accumulated into him as a character. So, you know, on, on the one hand, it is the director giving himself quite a bit of material to chew on as a, you know, he gets a lot of stuff to do <laughs> that he wouldn't otherwise have if he weren't such a character. But I really loved it. I, I mean, from start to finish, I was very satisfied. And I think you know, overall, looking back at all these Poirots, it's just such a cozy thing, right? You're, you're with, even though he can be a little cantankerous in some depictions, at the end of the day, you can trust him to find the murderer and get to the bottom of things. That order he provides in this chaotic world is such a cozy comfort. <laughs> yeah, I think you brought up a good point. Despite all of his eccentricities, he is always a stabilizing force and someone you can turn to if you need help. Uh, but a, a side note, I, when we're watching this movie, the wartime backstory threw me off of it. So I was sitting there, I thought to myself, did I buy the wrong movie? Am I, I, I was sweating it out. I was so nervous. I'm like, Matt's going to be so mad. I'm going to get locked in all things cozy dungeon um, for bringing us to the, to the wrong movie. But it all came together quite well. And we were in the right movie. And it was a lovely day. <laughs> it turns out we were in the right movie. <laughs> and what a movie. I mean, you know, listeners, I'll be I'll come clean. Uh Don French and Jennifer Saunders are in this film, and so I couldn't not love it. Uh I will watch those two read the newspaper. They are so funny. Like I mean, all of the cast is great, but I also want to credit this film, one thing too, while we're talking about it it really does take on some responsibility and some work 
with addressing race um, in a way that, especially looking back at the 78 version, really does not take have any care in the world about stereotypical no depictions. Yeah. The, the dynamic between all these white people on a boat <laughs> and everyone else. That is not the stance of this film. This film actually does work to be inclusive. It does not stereotype. And it directly addresses um, inequalities of race, especially at that time. So I really, I, I want to give it credit where it's due mm-hmm. that it really thought critically about those issues. Well said. Here's my final question to you, Jillian. We just wrapped up our Poirot Palooza. Which Poirot is your pick? This is who, who would you get on the case one. if you had to hire one of these portrayals? Well, selfishly, I'd want the emotional pro, but I don't think we'd get anything done because we would <laughs> both be crying. We'd, we'd be, I, I think the combination of us both, because yeah, I can, I can be a little over um, the top and sentimental. So that would not work well for cracking the case. So I will have to say the 1989 version, year of my birth the nice mix of Poirot being eccentric, but also not too over the top, just right version. I want him to crack the case. What about you? Overall, the safest pick is Suchet's Poirot. He is just like the embodiment of the character. I also selfishly want to pick Bran Oz. <laughs> I, I don't know what him. it is about this blubbering Poirot, but he has my heart. I just, he's such an emotional wreck. And I love it. I, I like his woundedness. I'm, a, I'm attracted to it. <laughs> well, well, also how he, he just, he loves so deeply, even yeah. my friend said, Book. <laughs> yeah, Book. Book, I, lo- I loved his relationship with Book. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun to say. Just how deeply he cares for people. And I know, I guess I also felt seen because I'm not very... I'm not an extrovert and I do mm-hmm. watch and, and observe. And I think people who also are drawn to writing, well, you have to be an observer to be a writer, but um, just that always kind of being on the periphery of things and uh, just how, how that is an, an emotional burden. And you can tell that that weighs on him. And yeah, I, I, I love that about him. Yeah. He's not the most accurate, like book accurate version of the character, but I think, for me, he's the most interesting exploration of the character. Yeah, that backstory. I'd watch that backstory over and over again. Yeah, I, also... I mean, they, they add so many layers. Like, it's not afraid to, like, mess with the canon, this version. I want to watch the movie of that backstory. I want to see it follow through. Oh, of his, you know, his love and yeah, how that I'd happened. Watch yeah, watch it. I mean, that, that's a tragedy. I don't know if I'm ready for that emotionally, but... Yeah, I mean, we, I, we, our eyes would be as watery as brown eyes at that point. It's true. Uh, with enough tears to fill the Nile. Thank you for coming on this Poirot Palooza with us. Uh, it was a, a pure joy to explore this character. We want to hear from you. Who is your favorite Poirot and why? And do yourself a favor and just say that name throughout the day today. Poirot. <laughs> it's just fun, especially say book. It's just a lot of fun to say. And let us know on social media, on Instagram or our Facebook group. What are your favorite versions of Poirot? 
and any of your favorite mysteries that he has solved. And with that, we're moving on to our soothing sound. My soothing sound is also about a legend of the silver screen that goes by the name of Dick Van Dyke, who, Jillian, is 96 years old. His wife, (laughs) Arlene Silver, and they released a Valentine's Day video singing and dancing to Everybody Loves a Lover, which was made popular by Doris Day. They're joined by the barbershop trio, the Vantastics, on the track. And look, it's not a new song, but I wanted to highlight this because I think it's so cute. We got Dick Van Dyke here, 96 years old, singing and dancing about love. It's their 10-year anniversary. Uh-huh. And so it was. A, they dropped it on Valentine's Day to share with the world. I would say of, of things that I share on Soothing Sound, this is really more about the, the video because you get to enjoy watching Dick Van Dyke dance. So I encourage you to find the link in our show notes to see it yourself. But here's a snippet of what it sounds like. Dick Van Dyke singing with his wife, Arlene Silver. Everybody loves a lover. I can't have I'm a lover. It's no one Everybody else loves me. Gee, I feel just how that I feel. Having a ball. I guess you might call like me. He's still got it. Well, I love Dick Van Dyke's smile. He has the best smile. He does. And I, first of all, very spry and up there dancing. And there's just something about, even still, the quality of his voice that it's like a warm blanket because it's so familiar and comforting. Yeah. And when you said that he was dancing with his wife and saw a little video for Valentine's Day, I was imagining them shuffling around, shuffling around their kitchen, but this is a whole production. Oh, it's a whole production. <laughs> a set. It's Hollywood, baby. <laughs> Yeah. Dick Van Dyke does it big. And the fact that he, uh, you know, found love again at 86. Yeah. Him. So yeah. this is this is wonderful and enjoyable. Jillian, what sound is soothing you this week? So I try to take a different route this week. I'm, I realize, wow, I'm always doing these dream pop folksy ladies. <laughs> and what <laughs> country this week? or country-ish, uh, Maren Morris's background music is released on February 10th. It's from her upcoming album, Humble Quest, which is the coziest album name ever. And it's out on March 25th. And this song is about enjoying a moment in time while you can. In this iteration, it's about enjoying love while you can, even if it's it's fleeting and realizing that, yeah, things end, but... Um, taking it for what it is. And I think that's a very cozy sentiment. All right. So let's take a listen to Marin Morris's background music. What a powerful message in this song. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful sentiment, and I do like the music video, too, and that's super simple. She's just yeah. in a really bright room, walking around some near some plants. Yeah, just in a bright room with, with plants. Yeah, what else can you ask for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I this song is really moving, you know, and I think, honestly, it's even more moving when you read the YouTube comments and the connections people are making to the song are 
really emotional and real. And I think this is one of those songs that deeply resonates with a lot of people, especially people who have loved and lost um, or have had the fortune of having a love that has endured so long that it has become background music. Yeah. And I love Marin. I think I, I enjoy her as a, as an artist. So has a new album out humble quest, March 25th. It's a quest I want to be on. Try out that new album. Yeah. All right, Jillian, get your sniffer ready because you got the candle <laughs> this week. I want to hear all about fresh bamboo from bath and body works. I think our listeners appreciate honesty here on this podcast. And <laughs> the honest truth is <laughs> I had never burned this candle until until tonight, I received it as a birthday gift for my partner's mother. And uh, she has a lot going on right now, personally, so I didn't expect anything from her. I think she strolled into Cole's, her dark lord, picked this up <laughs> in the clear section. So her dark lord is Cole's and yours are Bunch of Crunch? Yeah. <laughs> so we all have our dark lords, Matt. We don't choose them. They choose us. <laughs> so... I think she has picked this up and put it in a bag. No little wrappers or anything, just in the bag. And I was like, oh, this is, you know, I texted her and said, thank you. <laughs> this is great. I just put it to the side. It's like, this will come in handy one day. I don't know how, but maybe it will. And so I didn't have any time to, well, I, the candle I wanted to burn is actually from the, apparent, it turns out it's from the UK. I tried to research it and it has those little boobs on it. You know, those little, that like trend. And I just don't like that. I think we're too many little boobs all over the place on everything. It's just, I'm done with that design. So all I was left with was the bamboo. And well, Matt, let me tell you, I, when I was doing my research on this, I discovered, <laughs> I discovered that it's a limited edition. Oh. And by limited edition, I mean that they discontinued the scent. So this must have been sitting on Cole's shelf for decades. I don't know how long it was sitting there. I saw that they're trying to sell it on eBay for 40 bucks. Wow. Assuming, so you have, a, you have a, a hot commodity. I think so. People are after this fresh bamboo. You know how people put things online for crazy prices? Mm-hmm. Like the first listen that comes up is $1,000. For fresh bamboo, are you teasing me? For fresh bamboo. No, stop. No, truly. I mean, that's one of those crazy prices, but I'm seeing <gasps> listings here for $150. You, you have a collector item. I do. Stop burning I, it right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I thought that I, I, I was almost embarrassed to, to review this candle. I, you know, Bath and Body Works, I don't want to hate on them, but. Well, also, it's like good luck listeners getting this candle. We loved it, <laughs> but it, they don't make it anymore, and it's going to cost you $100 to buy it off secondhand on eBay. No, go to Marshall's. Go <laughs> to, uh, you know, all those all those kinds of stores. Kmart, if they're still around. I don't know if they shut down. Sears, whatever it is. Go to our discount section. You might fr- find fresh bamboo. We're not at the point where we're telling our listeners to go to Sears, are we? <laughs> I don't know. We jumped the shark. I don't know. <laughs> So this is a three-wick candle. Sorry, going on and on. (laughs) (laughs) I want to know more. Three wicks. Wow. Okay. So (laughs) is it worth the hype? Like, is this this worth the buildup of, like, people seem to be demanding this candle? Well, first let me tell you about the notes. Okay. So originally launched in 2008, 
This BBW favorite favorite is a blend of sweet bamboo, lush jasmine, and wild grasses. I think it's a blend of a headache, but that's (laughs) you're in or there. But uh, yeah, it just smells like it's almost like a a rose scent. You know, it's really strong rose scents, but it's a different kind of flowery scent. Mm -hmm. It's extremely flowery. It's fine, but... You know, if you've seen those videos on TikTok and they say, you know, smell essential oils, candles are killing you. You're, you know, you're, you're dying slowly every time you burn one. <laughs> this, I think, would probably be true with this one. Um, <laughs> so that's it. But I'll, I'm going to give it a wick because it was a gift. Mm-hmm. It, it's highly sought after. <laughs> and no one else can get it. You're going to it for a candle you want to you smell. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's a long story. <laughs> Wait, so this candle gets a wick? A wick up? Oh, no, it's right. staring at me. The fresh bamboo, it's like it has eyes. So I just, I don't know. It demands I'm it. it. Yeah, I'm going to give it a wick. <laughs> All right. Well, good luck getting your fresh bamboo. I'm, I'm, I'm just happy to know that I didn't realize there's a whole, like, collector element to this that we've been missing out on. I, I know. I, I, I want to start getting, like, protector cases for my <laughs> scented candles. And Bath and Body Works to boot. Hmm. Well, you know, that makes sense, too, because, like, they put... They don't really, but it seems like they put like kerosene in their candles, so they burn so fast. So I, I guess if you're if you're an addict for the fresh bamboo, you, you really do have to <laughs> buy a lot to make it last. Well, maybe I'll give it away as a as a giveaway kind of thing yeah. for listeners. Yeah, get get Julian's half burnt fresh bamboo candle. <laughs> what a treat! Yeah. <laughs> Well, that does it for our Poirot Palooza. We hope you enjoyed the exploration of this iconic character and maybe one of our top 10 candle reviews on the show. We want to close out with some shout outs. First of all, thank you so much to Emily Kay for the incredible Valentine's Day themed knitted cup cozies. They're so adorable and we love, love, love them. Thank you, Emily. They are a cherished addition to our cozy households. Yes, thank you. Can't wait to use them. We'll send you a pic. And also, thank you to the cute calico cat from Chicago named Hijinks, who sent us a message on Instagram to let us know they're a, quote, big fan of the podcast. Thank you, Hijinks. Sending thank lots you, of love. Thank you, Hijinks. Sending love. As a, my family has only ever had calico, so we have a calico bias. So, Hijinks, mm. it means even more coming from you. And I love the name hijinks. That's an incredible cat name for a cat, by the way, that does it for this week. We'll be back in your ears with more coziness. Keep up with us. We're on Facebook and Instagram at all things, cozy podcast. You can support us on Patreon. If you'd like, we are at patreon.com slash all things cozy. Got to keep that BritBox subscription happening. So you can Mm -hmm. explore more shows to talk about in the show. Anyway, thank you all for listening. We appreciate every single one of you for joining us. And and let us know what you think about Poirot. And if you checked out the most recent Death of the Nile, we want to hear, hear your thoughts on the All Things Cozy Facebook group. Until next time, stay cozy. With me, it's the exercise of the little gray cells. You perfectly foul French upstart. Belgian upstart, please, mother.